There's some language in this episode that some listeners may find offensive. So the other day I was biking over the Manhattan Bridge. I was coming back to Brooklyn and I decided to stop and ask other cyclists kind of one of the most controversial questions in urban biking. Do you run red lights or go through red lights on your bicycle? Yep, 100%. I'm ready to run them and I'm not ashamed about running them either. Well, I like to say that I don't run reds, but I don't always wait for the green. And I do think that makes a big difference because the only times I have ever come in contact with a vehicle is at a red light, and I have been rear-ended by vehicles. I'm somewhat contrarian in the bike community. I never run red lights. I, I, I don't want to be the cyclist that's cited at a community board meeting for the reason that we need to enforce bike laws and all that. If there's pedestrians crossing in front of you, if there's cars crossing in front of you, like, and you're running a red light, like, that, that's recklessness. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm, like, sitting at the light patiently for a few seconds, waiting for the cars to go by, and when the coast is clear, I go. And I've only ever gotten a ticket for once, so. <laughs> so. So it's worth the investment. Amortized over the amount of years that you've been cycling. Uh, it's a $190 ticket, so I, I think if I, if I got the ticket again, I'd probably be discouraged from it. But, but, but once in, in three and a half years cycling in the city isn't, ain't so bad. This is The War on Cars, the podcast about those darn cyclists and how they're always trying to stay safe and avoid being crushed by cars. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. We're going to get into that. Okay. If you haven't guessed already from that opening, today we are talking about cyclists and the law. Is it okay to run a red light on your bike? And is it okay to break other rules? And does it help the war effort when scofflaw cyclists run red lights and are seen flouting the rules. As we heard, uh, people who ride bikes have a lot of opinions on the subject. But first, please support us on Patreon. Uh, Go to our website, thewaroncars.org. Click the donate button to help keep the podcast going. As thanks, we'll send you all kinds of great rewards, t-shirts, stickers, access to exclusive audio content. You can also pick up our famous buttery soft War on Cars t-shirts at cottonbureau.com. We will put a link to that in the show notes. And did you see somebody on Twitter talking about how they went to a community meeting wearing the War on Cars t-shirt? I I really wish I knew exactly what happened when they did that. Yeah, if you wind up doing that, listeners, we, we want a picture of that. And not only do we want a picture, but we want like the whole story. What <laughs> I want to know what people's reaction to that would be. Yeah. The Warren Card. And we, we should mention that that uh, Doug uh, appeared on the Josh Marshall Talking Points Memo podcast. I hope he's listening. He's the editor and publisher of TalkingPointsMemo.com. He has a reputation for every now and then saying something. Well, it's like it's like whenever, you know, things start to slow down on the Trump impeachment beat, Josh starts complaining about cyclists yeah, breaking I, the law in his I, neighborhood. I was going to say, he has a tendency to say things that are like, frankly, pretty stupid about cyclists. And to his credit... I reached out to him and said, hey, can I come talk to you about some of the stuff you've been saying? And so we had a pretty good discussion about actually our subject too, cyclists and the law. So we'll put a link in the show notes as well to that and go listen and let us know what you think. Yeah, Doug is kind of like the diplomatic core of the the war on cars. Yeah, I'm I'm the Jimmy Carter of the bike movement. (laughs) They just send me out to the Middle East every now and then. Josh refers to to Doug as a as a moderate in the radical cycling community. A moderate. I don't think I don't think you count as as a moderate. I'm not. I'm very I'm very I'm very uh, moderate. Mm. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Speaking of cyclists and the law, that is our main topic for today, breaking the law on your bike. So it's not just our main topic. It is a very hot topic. Anytime you read a story about bikes or bike lanes or you go to a community board meeting, I guarantee someone will stand up. Someone will write a comment that says those scoff law cyclists, they don't deserve any good infrastructure because they're always running red lights or riding on the sidewalk. So that leads to our first question. Aaron, Sarah, do you run red lights on your bike? Well, I, I don't know if Aaron runs red lights, but I know that he he bikes against the flow of traffic, uh, which is known as salmoning. Salmoning. I was crossing Court Street near my house, and I looked in the direction of where traffic is supposed to be coming from. Supposed to it be was in the mind of a traffic engineer, because that street should be two ways. <laughs> and then I stepped off the curb and mm-hmm. into the street, and coming from the opposite direction where there was supposed to be no traffic mm-hmm. was this big dude <laughs> on a bike and it freaked me out like I jumped I was like and then Whoa. as I recall we had a very and pleasant I looked exchange. and I said oh my oh, god hi, it's you That's Aaron right. of course Hello. it's Aaron very nice social exchange resulted mm. a literal bump in a literal and metaphorical bump in. okay so you didn't bump me but you right. did startle me and if perhaps I were not so sympathetic to you as a person, I might have been really, you know, freaked out by it. Like, that's do, the kind of thing that do, does freak And I do think that out. I broke a cardinal rule there. I mean, I, there's like a way to do it. I don't think you should like startle or... It's like seafaring laws. You know, the bigger, more powerful vessels should sort of like yield, <laughs> yield to, the, to the small to the smaller, sailboat, right. smaller sailboat yeah. you know? I mean, I think you, we have an interesting distinction that we could potentially get into, which is running a red light versus going through... As you heard in the intro, uh, one of the people said that she doesn't run red lights, but she doesn't always wait for greens. And I, I do think there's a little bit of a distinction there. Like, I don't blaze through crosswalks filled with people in midtown Manhattan, but if it's a little desolate, if it's a little empty and I see that no one's coming, I will go through. Yeah, I'll, I'll, even I will do that. I will stop and, and make sure that there really is no one. But I guess part of the reason that I've become a lot more law-abiding in recent years is that I've realized I've had the experience of thinking, oh, this is safe. I've, I've stopped and I've seen what is going on. And then I've gone through and I have come too close to a pedestrian or a car has come too close to me. There's been a car coming that I didn't anticipate fully. So for myself, I just have gotten much more conservative about waiting at the light. And I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more traffic these days in general, and it's just gotten really chaotic out there. And one of the ways I protect myself is I do follow the law for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as New York City has gotten better with its bike infrastructure, I've become more law abiding. You know, it's like they're giving you infrastructure to use. So use it. Um, And it's generally if you do use it, it, it works out pretty well for you. But in places and at times in New York when there wasn't good bike infrastructure, then I feel like, you know, you're really out there on your own. Nobody's protecting you. And, you know, disobeying the traffic signals that are all there for designed for cars, they're fundamentally dehumanizing. I mean, you, we need traffic signals for cars because when a human being is in a car, all of their five senses are obliterated. They mm-hmm. are like deaf Definitely. and dumb and, and mute and you know, when we're out there on our bikes or walking or even in a transit vehicle altogether, we're able to be human with each other. We're able to be like, hey, I'm here. Look out. You know, Aaron, you're running into me on Court Street. Don't bump into me. Oh, hey, sorry. 
you know, you can't do, people in cars can't do that. And that's why we need traffic signals. So it's like disobeying them is maybe it's like a justifiable act of civil disobedience. So we are not going to settle this. I and mean, we have different opinions, varying degrees of lawbreaking being acceptable or not acceptable. And really nobody can settle this question. So that is why I decided to consult a higher authority. What, like a judge? Like the Department of Transportation, NYPD? No, 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 no legal analysis, no attorneys or anybody like that. Jeanette Sadek Khan. Gridlock Sam Schwartz. Both would be on my list of people we want to interview on the podcast, but I mean, no. These are the highest authorities. That's pretty high. No, I did not talk to JSK or Sam Schwartz. I can't imagine. Who, who is the highest authority on this? I went to talk to a rabbi. Of course. <laughs> War on cars, bar mitzvah party theme music. Exactly. <laughs> I went to talk to Rabbi Stephanie Colin at Central Synagogue in Manhattan. She's not a cyclist herself, but I went to ask her if it was okay for cyclists to go through red lights and what, if anything, Jewish law, the Torah, the Talmud say about these practices. So there are a few ways I would come at this. One is that Jewish tradition teaches uh, Dina de Malchuta Dina, which means when you're in any land, you are to follow the laws of the land. So at first blanche, I would say, well, if those are the laws and there's a light and you are a being that is traveling on anything but foot, the laws would indicate that you should follow that law. And so kind of a blanket answer, Dina de Malchuta Dina, uh, you should not run that light. See, I told oh, you. Please. Okay, Sarah. I am Jewish, and I know that that is not going to be how this this ends because <laughs> it's never just follow the law. There's always some like interpretation. All right, or, let's let's hash it out. Right, she did not stop there. It is definitely not as cut and dry as just follow the law, and that's it. This is she's not an op-ed columnist for the Post. Help me out, Rabbi Colin. There's a law called Pikuach Nefesh, which says that if you need to save a life, you can break almost any law. The three reasons you can't break a law for are uh, if the alternative is murder, um, idolatry, or incest. In those cases, you cannot break a law. But if the alternative is save a life or break some other law, you are to save a life. So if you actually fear for your life and this flow of traffic thing puts you at risk in body and you're running that light, does not put somebody else's life at risk, there would be argument to say that to save your own life, you go through, you keep your momentum going and you go through the light. Unless, of course, your bike is in the shape of a golden calf and it's idolatrous or you go home and you pray to your bicycle. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, yeah. people accuse cyclists of being zealots and, yeah. and you know, uh, proselytizing the evangelicals, you know, for right. their bicycles. So she's onto something like there, the perhaps. Bike is sort of an idol. So, yeah. so if you're not murdering somebody or somehow committing incest with your bicycle, which would be an interesting... It would have to be a tandem bike, I guess. <laughs> if that would happen. for yeah. your own well-being. 
Right, you, so, you, it's so that's settled then. It's okay to go through a red light. In her head, Rabbi Colin is going, I went to five years of rabbinic school for this. <laughs> Rabbi, is it okay <laughs> for me to run right. a red light on my bicycle on Lexington Avenue? <laughs> you know, so, uh, but she was a really she good sport. She was a really great sport about this. Probably not in her uh, rabbinic teaching, but yeah. So she's basically saying if you are at risk of being harmed in any way, and, you know, a driver's going to turn right into you when the light turns green. There's a justifiable case to be made that you can break the law of the land, as she spoke about in the first clip, and go through that red light to save yourself from bodily harm. All right. Settled. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. Done. Yes. Thanks to everybody for listening. Finally, we have a, a matter of Jewish law that is just completely settled and clear. So and Aaron's yeah, clearly being sarcastic years. because as a fellow Jew, he knows, no, it cannot stop it's there. It's never settled. Um, this is like the Passover Seder that never ends. Um, the whole goal is arguing about it. It's, that's it. That's the whole point of Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so uh, there is another wrinkle that Rabbi Colin threw into the mix here. So there's something called Ma'arit Ayin, which is... Basically, it's causing somebody else to commit a sin or causing somebody else to do something wrong. So what happens if you're a really good cyclist, but what if there's a little kid watching you? If you run that light and then a few days later that kid is on the bike and says, well, I guess I can run this light. And then they run the light and are hit by a car, God forbid, or they cause somebody else to be hurt that responsibility for their safety flows from your action there too. And so being cautious about our lives also is about being cautious about the lives of those who are watching our decisions. So like all good Jewish things, we can never just do it and be okay with it. We have to be consumed with guilt no, and guilt. wonder. Not guilt, responsibility. <laughs> I liked how she moved you from guilt to responsibility. That's solid. Yeah, solid that's rabbi good rabbiing work. Good, like, uh, yeah. good counseling that she does there. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's right. So it's complicated. So it, you've, if you're standing at that light and then you choose to go through and some random person, a child, doesn't have to be a kid sees you do it, and a week later, they do the same thing and get hit or hurt somebody else, you are partially responsible for the decision that they made. This I experienced this all the time. I actually experienced it on the way over here where you'll be standing at a, a corner as a pedestrian, and there'll be a mom and a kid, and the mom is trying to train her kid how to safely cross the street, and the light will be red, and you'll see that you could cross the street safely. But the mom is saying, wait for the white walking man. And you don't want to walk lesson. against the light as they're trying to teach this lesson to their child. So I actually just had that happen. And, you know, and I do think about that partly because I am a mom and I know how hard it is to train kids to do the right thing. And they, they are very susceptible to seeing, well, everybody else is doing it. And then... But, you know, it's, I feel like there's a flip side to this. And, you know, I didn't go to rabbinic school or anything, but like breaking the traffic rules can be an indication that the traffic rules are flawed and need to be changed and that there's a problem on the street. So, for example, I live on a street where there's a section where cyclists are always going the quote unquote wrong way for a one block stretch. But there's a huge demand to do that. And so we could also see that huge demand. And I know that Marit Ayan. Ayan means eyes. So I don't know what Marit, I think it means like bad eyes or something like that. But, um, you know, we could use our Ayan, our eyes and see, okay, a lot of people want to go the, the quote unquote wrong way. They're salmoning here. We should satisfy that demand and change this street. Right. And you can look at the illegal behavior that people are engaging in and use that to inform your design decisions the same way that, for instance, in a park, when you see 
a path worn in the grass, what's called a desire line, that says people are just taking that shortcut and you're never going to stop them from taking that shortcut and, and wearing that place in the grass. You might as well make that a legit path, right? Because people are just going to use it. And, and so in that same way, uh, seeing people riding the wrong way on streets is an indicator that something needs to change. That's something I was going to bring up too, because a lot of times you'll hear advocates and people in the news or other people say, Cyclists should not and will not get good infrastructure until everybody behaves. And there's this I sort hate of that. yeah, there's this sort of like respectability politics yeah. that comes into play. And I always push back on that because I can point to so many designs and rules and laws that were changed precisely because people were breaking the law. So a really great example, the Idaho stop. We should explain what that is. Right. So the Idaho stop comes from the state of Idaho. It is uh, a law that makes it legal for cyclists to treat stop signs as a yield, which means you don't have to put your foot down and come to a complete stop. And which, by the way, is how drivers treat stop signs. Well, that's cars. a different story. Right. Yeah, but but. Um, but it makes sense because when you're on a bike, there's the fact that you need to keep your momentum going and it takes a lot of energy to start and stop as opposed to when you're in a car and can just press a gas pedal. And also to Aaron's point about having all of your senses available to you, you can see, you can hear and you can look around and, and determine if it's safe for you to continue going through an intersection in a way you can't when you're in a car. So rather than uh, put up cameras or ticket cyclists for going through stop signs and not coming to a complete stop, the state of Idaho, and I think Oregon is actually um, considering a law like this right now, they have made it legal for you to, if you're on a bike, treat a stop sign as a yield. I mean, not, not to get too grandiose about this, but I think what you're talking about is again a kind of a type of civil disobedience. You know, it's like the British didn't leave India because Gandhi was like, "Okay, all you know, everybody follow the rules." You know, not, it's like not to get grandiose. About <laughs> yeah, it. Right, right. no, but seriously, yeah. like the civil rights movement didn't succeed in the '60s because like people kept not, you know, sitting at the lunch counter. Kept, you know, they people like went and were like, "No, this is how the world should be," and I'm gonna like, I'm gonna go be the change that I want to see. And I, I mean. I actually really feel like when cyclists are breaking the rules, they're doing that in a way. Is that just insane? I well, mean, I, don't think, not, yeah. I think that there's many cases in which that's just ridiculously out of touch with what cyclists are actually doing, which is the same just entitled. Just dick They're just the same entitled behavior that, that a motorist would engage in. So I, I, you know, I think that you need to be careful about that. Because it's it does sound really self-important and uh, it sounds really um, self-serving. Well, I think there's a real difference here between civil disobedience, which is like in the examples that you cited, Aaron, people in those situations, political civil disobedience, know that they are risking something, arrest, bodily harm to make a point, to change the law. Whereas most people who are riding their bicycles and going through a red light aren't saying, I'm sticking it to the man. Um, they're actually doing it because they want to stay safe. And the law is not really the thing on their mind that they're thinking of at that point. Um, I did want to cite there was a study that just came out from Denmark, the Danish Road Directorate, and they showed that just 4.9% of cyclists broke road rules when they were riding on cycleways, on bike lanes. And in places where there was no cycling infrastructure, law-breaking rose to 14%. So I think it shows there's like a kind of rational side. But of so I feel like that's actually an argument in favor of the the sort of the civil disobedience view of that of this. That you know when 
when cyclists make their presence felt and they just start flooding streets that weren't made for them. And, you know, the city starts to, you know, not without a fight, but the city starts to um, reconfigure. Well, I I think you just don't need the fight. I think smart city planners should go out and look and see how people are actually using the streets and decide. Well, ideally. Right, ideally. But I mean, it is a a political struggle. Like, would you guys at least agree? Like, this is a political struggle. Yeah, Like, we're fighting for a limited scarce resource and you don't get it unless you There has been, you know, action like that, like critical mass. That I would classify as an actual civil disobedience action. I don't, I agree with Doug that people who are going through lights most of the time are just trying to go about their daily business and they're not thinking about, you know, making a stand for justice. And so I think we should be careful about making that distinction. It doesn't mean that I don't think that infrastructure should change. I I certainly do. This whole episode started on the premise that like every time Doug goes through a red light, he's like thinking, you know, he needs to call a rabbi. Right. Like, I'm like that's all guilt. he's thinking about. No, but I mean, but that's why I'm an advocate, right? That's why I do some of the things that I do. And that's why I think about the stuff that I do. I do go through red lights because I'll look ahead and I'll see that the bike lane is blocked by a UPS truck and behind me is a row of cars. And I want to get out ahead of that row of cars so I don't have to merge with traffic. So in the moment, I'm just doing what I want to do and need to do to stay safe. But because I am who I am and, and think about these things, I then translate that into, hey, we should make that a protected bicycle lane or we should change the light timing so that it's like a green wave so I don't have to put my foot down, so I don't have to worry about merging with fast-moving traffic. Um, so I think, like I said earlier, you, you have a certain responsibility. If, if you're sticking it to the man, if that's why you're ri- riding through and doing this act of civil disobedience, you have more responsibility than just the act itself. You have to turn it into, uh, into change. I do try to live by the golden rule, which is, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, yeah, that's probably the most, I mean, that's, I think that is the golden rule out there. Totally agree with that. The other golden rule is ban cars. Ban cars. Yes. Hashtag ban cars. It's a little bit of like, you know, they've like colonized the city. They've like taken over and we have this kind of weird colonized mind about cars in the city. Like we all have to just sort of follow their rules or something. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. So you're at your you're at your local community meeting and some new piece of bike infrastructure is up for discussion. You know, there's a new bike lane coming in and someone stands up at the meeting and says, These cyclists don't deserve the new bike lane because they never follow the rules. They're scoff laws, they're outlaws, they're pirates. What 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 what's a person supposed to say to that? I'll tell you what you shouldn't say. You shouldn't say, well, what about drivers? Because it just immediately gets people on a defensive. And I don't think it helps. I mean, I I do think sometimes you can say, hey, look, we know who's killing people out there and it's not cyclists. What you should say is, look, I mean, I can point to lots of examples around New York where we put in safe cycling infrastructure and the behavior that everybody complains about changed. Um, I mentioned this on the Josh Marshall podcast, Prospect Park West. 47% of cyclists were riding on the sidewalk. They put in a bike lane, that number dropped down to 3%. So, you know, to some of the points that we were making earlier, no amount of enforcement or scolding got people off the sidewalk. It was just safe infrastructure. So in a community meeting, I would point to those examples. And I think smart city planners should have those in their presentations. Yeah, I mean, I would just say that's exactly what we're asking for is a way to ride legally and safely. 
And we're freedom fighters. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're fighting for our freedom. Aaron's going to go out here like, I don't know, a, a Che Guevara t-shirt <laughs> and start riding around just rolling through red lights, <laughs> pissing off little old ladies. That is not how I ride. Except for that one time I bumped into Sarah. <laughs> That's it for this episode of The War on Cars. Uh, Aaron, should we say a bracha to close this one out? Is there some <laughs> prayer for ending yeah. a podcast? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, it's well. The, the, the prayer to end a podcast. <laughs> there must be one. There's got to be one. There's, There's a prayer for everything. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, don't forget to support the podcast by going to thewaroncars.org and clicking on Donate. As thanks, we'll send you stickers and other cool stuff if you support us. So please do that. We really love our listeners who have given us reviews. So go to Apple Podcasts and um, help us out. And thank you to our biggest supporters, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, and in New York City, the law office of Vaccaro and White. Yeah, and we want to hear from you. We're planning on putting together another mailbag episode. Uh, so, you know, let us know what you think. If you have ideas or thoughts, if you have opinions about running red lights, owning a car, the big ethical questions, you know, surrounding your daily commute, send us a voice memo. Record something on your phone and send it to thewaroncars at gmail.com or even just send us a text email. We love to read them. We don't get to respond to all of them, but we do read them all. And uh, we might play you on a future episode. This episode of The War on Cars was produced by Matt Cutler and recorded by Josh Wilcox at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. Special thanks to Rabbi Stephanie Cohen for playing along and applying her knowledge of the Torah and Talmud to this subject. And also to Michael Hurst for the special Klezmer version of our main theme. Trent Klezmer. <laughs> Trent, Trent Klezmer. Klezmer. <laughs> he is a genius. He's a genius. I'm Sarah Goodyear. I'm Aaron Napperstack. I'm Doug Gordon, and this is The War on Cars. Uh, what about other laws, like riding on the sidewalk? I choose not to, and I do get bothered in some cases by cyclists doing it. For me, though, it, it does get back to the idea that if laws are not designed to accommodate this technology, which is an objective, I also wish car horns were as loud inside cars as they are outside and think the world would just get better. That's a, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs>